This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning and welcome to Raise Your Game. I'm Roshan Kanesan. Starting a business is no doubt hard, but scaling a business can be even harder. Today on the show, we're going to explore the common pitfalls that happens when scaling a business and how to avoid it. And helping us with this conversation is Adlin Yusman, Managing Director at Endeavor Malaysia. We're also going to be tapping Adlin's experience and expertise to get into the power of connections, networks and mentorship, especially given his work with Endeavor Adin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Roshan. It's a brilliant morning today. Great way to start people's weeks, I believe. And you know, uh, what we're trying to do here, Adlin, is trying to help people in their own journeys as they try to build their businesses. Maybe they think they want to start, but not sure whether they should. They're worried about feeling. They're worried about the struggles that come along the way of building a business, of entrepreneurship, uh, or even just having a side business, for example. So, Let's start with this. You're the Managing Director at Endeavour Malaysia. Uh, before we get into the main topic today, give us a brief introduction into Endeavour and what you guys are trying to do. Endeavour is a company that's uh, been around for 25 years. It's a global company. Our HQ is in New York. But the interesting story about Endeavour was that it started from Brazil, not the US. Ah. The founder is an American lady named Linda Rothenberg. So she wanted to replicate the Silicon Valley effect. And what that means is when you look at it 40, 45 years ago, um, when IBM guys sort of made money, they started to then invest in the ecosystem. And then that became the, the, the valley itself today, right? The tech ecosystem or tech hub of the world. So she wanted to jumpstart that by going into countries that didn't have a nascent ecosystem. So she started by launching Endeavor in Brazil 25 years ago. So fast forward 25 years later, Brazil is Endeavor's biggest country bypassing even the US. Wow. Yeah, I think they have about two to 300 uh, staff there. It's huge. It's huge. And, and I think Linda's claim to fame is the fact that she said she actually put the word entrepreneur, entrepreneur didas or something, it's um, <laughs> a Brazilian word, into the lexicon. They didn't have the word entrepreneur 25 years ago. Okay, that's really quite fascinating. Yeah. Uh, what's the uh, the size of the membership here in Malaysia? Or give us a sense for how big Endeavor is in Malaysia. So Endeavor, we support slightly over 90 entrepreneurs, um, or in this case, companies. And the reason why we say entrepreneurs is because sometimes there are two co-founders in a company and we will support two or three of them, depending on the size of the company, so long as you're interested to be in the network and would like to have the support that Endeavor gives you globally. Um, we have over... 70 mentors from varying degrees. Most are business owners, some are CEOs, some are entrepreneurs or endeavor entrepreneurs turn mentors, right? And I think because we've been around for coming to 10 years next year, um, the network is very, very healthy, is robust. We have varying, I guess, skill sets and, and varying growth stories from our one and only unicorn, which is Kasim, Eric Cheng, who's an Endeavor entrepreneur turned board member. So he's a board member for Endeavor. Um, we also have Loy, who obviously was the most successful IPO of 2022, also a board member and Endeavor entrepreneur. That's the founder and CEO of FarmFresh, oh, FarmFresh, right? yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a wonderful cadre of entrepreneur founders who are more than happy to give back and help the next generation find their way through by giving them mentorship and support. I think that is really important. Start with that is to kind of give people the sense of where you're coming from, right? So you're you're an entrepreneur yourself. Yep. So you've had four businesses in the past that you've tech companies across different industries that you've essentially exited. You sold them, um, and when we 
and so those some of those names you mentioned earlier, they they show the kind of experience that you are also learning from as well. Uh, the mentors are not just uh, new companies like the unicorns, but also, you know, Farm Fresh, which is basically, it's milk. It's a farm. Yes. Uh, so it's a wide range there. And so let's talk about you, right? So prior to Endeavor, you co-founded four tech companies across different industries. So you would know the struggle of not just starting a business, Adrian, yeah. but scaling a business as well. So take us through some of the common pitfalls that happen when scaling a business. I'm going to use a couple of terms that I guess some of the audiences will find familiar if you're a founder yourself. A few things that you would commonly hear are cold start issues. When I started my first company slightly over 25 years ago, I guess the first thing that sort of came to mind was at that time, there was no such thing as a founder or entrepreneur. Those are fancy words. <laughs> 25 years ago, you're known as a businessman or businesswoman. Let's right. be honest, right? I own a company and that's pretty much it. You worry about, you know, basically making a buck and keeping maybe 20 cents as profit to pay your salaries or your OPEX, right? But today, I guess, we have an ecosystem that's very robust. You've got people sort of uh, either angel investing or even now you've got people like Panjana who's then sort of creating a huge amount of uh, venture movement in the country to allow people to raise capital from seed all the way to growth, right? But at the end of the day is, how do you scale a business? I think before we talk about how, I, how we scale a business is, how do you even start one? All right, let's go there. Right, yeah. I mean, you don't have a capital. People say, oh, no capital cannot start. That's a bit... I guess it's a misnomer in a sense. There are a lot of people out there who started businesses without having any capital. They've bootstrapped with whatever savings they've had. So some capital, I don't deny that, right? Then there are those who start with a lot of capital, which is VC funding or angel funding, right? But success isn't dependent on one capital. It's dependent on grit. So scaling a business and starting a business are the same. You need to have grit, resilience. And I guess, see, a lot of people, entrepreneurs, they confuse the, the notion of playing not to lose. That's the problem. You should be playing to win. Okay, so, yeah, because playing not to lose is risk mitigation, essentially, exactly. essentially, when you want to be succeeding, because you're starting basically an entirely new thing. You can't be erring on the side of caution so much as you need to go and grab market share. Exactly. Okay. But see, grabbing market share, Roshan, sorry to interrupt you. I, no, I, I, I misbehave sometimes on, <laughs> when I'm on a panel. But I, I guess the thing is, grabbing market share is a bad word today simply because you've seen the horror stories of the soft bank decline, you know, mm -hmm. your, your WeWorks of the world, the Ubers, sort of gaining market shares and sort of burning capital throughout many, many years. And I guess the VCs or investors of today are a little bit more cautious simply because of the fact that if you don't have a path to profitability, another buzzword of today, right? You're not going to be able to get follow-on funding because you need to at least show that, hey, your business has a way to turn a profit. Maybe not today, but at least in the next 12 to 18 months. And that's when it starts to become tricky because if all you've been doing for the past couple of years is just gaining market share and you may be the dominant player in, in, in your space, but if you don't find a way to, to make a buck, you're going to have problems raising money. And if you don't have additional capital to keep your lights on, you're going to have a tough time, really. So let's go back to the uh, original premise here. Um, Starting a business is no doubt a difficult thing, right? And um, on our show, Open for Business, which is the show we talk to founders, entrepreneurs, business people about how they build their businesses, you've got a wide variety out there. And some of those issues you just referred to about, you know, you must have capital to start a business. These are very um, modern issues, I guess. Um, mm. This perception that you need money in order to win and grab market share, but now you need to be profitable as well. Yep. I mean, there's no cheap money or at least a lot less of it. Um Cold start issues were one of the common pitfalls you listed earlier, right? Uh, what is a cold start issue? And then maybe let's get into some of the other pitfalls. Okay, so I will start quoting some of my other compatriots in the space who obviously have made a much bigger wave than I have. But let me rewind back to my most, I guess, um, 
famous failure, which was when I started Bimalas. So in some ways, um, <laughs> my, my claim to fame obviously was I raised half a million US dollars in two days. Um, primarily because of the fact that I came from a big tech company back then called Groupon. So you've got that cachet of coming from a tech company, the largest at that time, Malaysia in 2013, 2014. Now, when you raise capital and you are then inclined to grow based on the demands of the investor, because investor puts in money, they need returns. And for returns, you need scale, right? I have, I guess in some ways when I look at it now, the speed of execution is mind-boggling. We went from zero employees to 70 employees in less than four months. That's a lot. That's still not shocking. I went from one country in Malaysia to six countries in six months. Wow. We launched multiple countries for Bimalas because Bimalas was, again, ahead of its time, right? We were doing what essentially is an on-demand concierge service 24 hours a day. You could get anything you want anytime. In 2014, 2015, you know, Grab was still just a taxi company, right? So we couldn't get delivery guys to do it. So we had to have our own delivery guys. So that means your, your expenditure on having a logistics fleet was one. Having a customer support team is another 24 hours around the clock. Then you've got your launches who are going up launching countries markets businesses it was an immense opportunity but also an immense undertaking and i guess in very many ways for young entrepreneurs who are listening today right you don't know what you don't know you think ah i got money you know i can now go and scale my investors trust me i've got a brand people are talking about me i'm drinking my own kool-aid i love it (laughs) and then you hit the wall right because the truth is while it's great to have good investors at the end of the day you need to know your business you need to trust yourself, which is why I'm going to segue back to Endeavor. So back then, I, I stumbled upon Endeavor in 2015. So at that time, I was seeing the local selection panel and they were selecting a few strong entrepreneurs, some of which you will know today. And I was like, wow, this is an amazing platform. We've got people giving you advice, literally, whether you want to or not, to tell you ways of how to make your business better. And they have no skin in the game. They're not your investors. They're not trying to, to tell you something that is you know, alternative to what you need to do. Just real world advice in terms of where they've come from as entrepreneurs and this is what you need to do. And that's what I didn't have as a founder. See, the biggest thing why mentorship is important is because when you go out and knock on the door to someone, if you're nobody, no one's going to talk to you, mm. right? And the problem is the ones who would talk to you, how do you know they're doing it for their own gain or not? You don't know. It's, it's crazy, right? And if you were to suddenly meet a mentor, a potential mentor out there that you don't know, that you solicit maybe through Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever, and you give them, for example, a piece of company information that could very well be detrimental to your growth, what happens then, right? Which is why Endeavor is very strict in that every mentor does it altruistically. It's a pay it forward mentality. We do it because we want you to succeed. It's nation building, really, in all the countries that we're in. So let's rewind then. Um you weren't a member of Endeavor when you started your company. I, I failed, bro. No one wanted to select me. I wasn't great enough to be an Endeavor <laughs> entrepreneur. <laughs> so now that you have been with Endeavor for so long and you look back at your old self, um, what is the advice you would tell that person? Especially given the rate at which you were growing at that time. I like what you're saying. So I remember this, right? So I'm going to drop a lot of nuggets that I've never publicly you know, sit mm. anywhere, right? So this is going to go out into the world, really. So one was, I, I succinctly remember the day I raised my capital. At that time, when I raised the capital, ringgit to USD was 3.7. When I raised, when term sheet was signed, money came in about 10 days, about that, pretty fast. In that 10 days, the rate went up to 4.1. Wow. So I made capital gains on the Forex, right? So at that time, my burn rate was only 30,000 ringgit a month. We were all not spending a lot of money. And then in that month, when we had the first board meeting, they're like, hey, you didn't spend any money. If you're not spending money, why do you take my money? Mm. So that was a huge mind shift set, right? Okay, change, right? Because I'm like, okay, I have to burn me. Okay, so if that's the case, then I started burning. So yeah, so the advice, it's a bit long-winded when I'm getting to the answer, but I would tell myself, no, I guess be more prudent. 
you don't need to scale at hyper growth. That's the buzzword back then, right? Do it in a way that is, yes, you're gaining market share, but something that is, I wouldn't say the word sustainable because in the first year, you've got to aim for growth before profits in a sense because you need to have users. But at the same time, not at the cost of having no potential way out. If you're burning, let's say, example, just simple math. If your gross revenue is 100,000 ringgit and your net profit, or say gross profit is say 20, 30,000 ringgit and your net OPEX burn is 100,000 ringgit, you're burning faster than you can ever catch up. Yeah. Right? Because it's one thing about, again, I don't want this to be a business school class, but you've got to look at your net churn, how many people are coming in and leaving, what's your stickiness, you know, of these guys who come in, what is the average spend, and all this stuff, right? These metrics, you have to live with these metrics, sleep with them, or, or, or you know, don't close your eyes at all and not sleep at night, just worried about this. This has to be essentially your guiding North Star. If you have these metrics down to a pat, you should be fine. Meaning that it's only a matter of time before you fine-tune your business model to hit sustainable, you know, metrics. I've been speaking to Adlin Yusman, Managing Director of Endeavour Malaysia, and we've been talking about the struggles of start not just starting, but scaling a business. We've got more to get into, so keep it here. I'm Roshan Kanasin. This is Raise Your Game on BFM 89.9. Burger, fries, Milo, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hey folks, welcome back to Raise Your Game. I'm Roshan Kanasan and this morning I've been speaking with Adlin Yusman, Managing Director of Endeavour Malaysia. And we've been talking about the challenges that are involved when scaling a business. And Adlin's also been tapping into his experience and some of his own stories as well. All right, so Adlin, if we look back at that conversation that you had with the uh, board, basically saying, uh, hey, why aren't you spending the money? This brings up this whole balance between you knowing your business and maybe how much you should be spending and growing versus the kind of influence or pressure that can be put on by your funders and your board of directors, um, that could be a pitfall. It could lead you to do things that are maybe not in line with what the directory you see the business going mm. or maybe out of your own capacity. Um, how do you think an entrepreneur today can balance that, that dynamic between knowing what you know versus listening to other people and balancing that uh, those two things? So the best person, I'm going to name drop here, is, I think Wai Hong was on your show once, right? Um, where he's very clear in terms of how do you manage your board. I think there's a podcast that went viral on, on how he did that, right? On investors and on managing your board. He's a lot better at that than I am, so maybe listen to him. But from my perspective, really, is the fact that I don't think you should rush to put people on your board. So if you're starting a business now, you're raising your seed or you're raising your Series A, try your very, very best to not put board members because they say they want to, because they're the lead investor, maybe they have to, right? But restrict that. If possible, make them observers. So at least, you know, you you have a financial fiduciary duty to update them monthly on what you're doing. That's fine. But the issue is, when you have a board that is, I guess, there because, because they invested, not because they have a strong input in terms of how they can help you grow your business, right? Because an investor will invest in multiple companies. They're not yeah. ex exactly experts in all of them and that's fine. So if you look at a lot of our tech companies today, they're getting a lot sharper. They are getting advisory board members or they're getting independent directors to come in with real world experience relevant to the business. For example, um, in Fashion Valley um, or FV Group now, Irene Omar is the chairwoman now. So she's just been appointed. She was a board uh, for, for FV and now she's the chairwoman. She's got real world experience, man. She's done... 15 companies, I think, within mm. an Asia group alone. So you want that kind of experience to help you scale, especially if you are at the point of inflection in terms of reinventing your business. So depending on where you are on your growth story, 
find the right people to be on your board or at the very least advising you because maybe you can't afford all these high-end board members at the beginning because you know what you raised what a million ringgit maybe mm-hmm. and most of it is being used like for growth or you know for your own salaries and tech build rollouts obviously I'm going to plug Endeavor again I mean if you can get selected then that's great because Endeavor will then assist you but assuming you don't get selected because our selection process is extremely rigorous to begin with I don't think any entrepreneur today in Malaysia that has made some manner of success I'm sure most of them are willing to help you out most of them I've met will be more than happy to help an entrepreneur so long as you're willing to ask. See, as Malaysia is a problem, I'm malu too. Sorry, I'm saying, I'm saying in Malaya. <laughs> See, we were raised in a school system that whenever you ask a question, you're scolding. You're scolding, yeah. Mm. So we're so so shy to ask. People say you're stupid, right? Mm-hmm. I think, guys, just erase that mentality. Because the problem is, if you don't ask, how are we going to help? Yeah. And as entrepreneurs, you know, an entrepreneur is an entrepreneur. I don't care whether you're an entrepreneur or founder selling, you know, nasi lemak 50 cents or one ringgit by the roadside or a guy who's running, you know, 100 million ringgit a year business you're still out there making a name for yourself. What do you want in a board member or even an early stage investor, right? Aside the money, of course, um, when you're starting out your business, let's say your pre-seed, you've just started out your pre-seed or even during the seed stage. What are the most important things to have in a board member? Because, you know, when we talk about founders, it's always about, it's about grit, like you mentioned earlier. It's about grit, it's about personality because you don't know your pre-product, your pre-revenue, your pre-customer. In a board member or a strategic partner, what should an entrepreneur or founder be looking for? I love this question, but I'm going to split it into two. Sure. And this is more of more of me sort of giving it in a way so whoever's listening understands it's broken into chunks. One, as I said earlier, it doesn't mean that if you're an investor, you have to be a board member. So I'm going to split that. So to address your first question, what kind of investor do you want to look for? And that's very, very important, especially at seed. I mean, it gets important as you grow, no doubt about it, but seed is critical because without seed, there is no business, right? Especially if you're doing something that's a tech startup. And in that, it is a dichotomy of ways of looking at things. One is if you are a brand new founder, you are not branded, no one knows who you are, you've, you've got a brilliant idea, maybe comes from a decent startup or tech company or an Ivy League university, some manner of branding, but nothing to prove that you've done it, you've not executed or operated, it's still going to be an uphill struggle. Now, if you're that person... Honest to God is try your best to get your ideal investor. But at the end of the day, you don't have a choice, really. Beggars can't be choosers. Whoever's going to give you money, you're going to have to take it to help you scale the business. I was on a panel with Eric on Saturday and he said, look, when he started Custom at the beginning, he raised 350,000 US dollars as a seed round. Today, his total fundraise is half a billion US. (laughs) But at that $350,000 seed stage, he met 60 investors. And this is the best part. Guess who came in of the 60 investors? The first guy he per- he met and the last guy he met. So it wasn't because he chose these guys. It's because whoever said yes, ultimately, to funding. So if you are not a serial founder, don't be so arrogant. Put your ego, check it at the door. Make do with what you can and make hay while the sun, sun is shining, really. Okay, so that's part one. On the board side, if you have a choice, try, try your best to say, look, if it's possible, can you come in and just be an observer? Happy to have you as an advisor, really. I'll update you on the business. But do you really want to be in the nitty-gritty of the legality of being a director of a company right now at this stage? More than happy for you to come in later if this business has proven its worth. Then you'll add value. But for the beginning, honestly, the amount of paperwork really is just a mess, one. And second, and this is something that no one in Malaysia likes to hear, when you fail winding down the company, if you've got a director, that's not going to be someone that's easy 
can you imagine the headache you're going to have? Especially if you fail at seed. If you fail at series D, that's a whole level, level of a problem <laughs> they're going to be facing. Like we work. Can you imagine that? That was a mess, really. But at seed, which let's be honest, the rate of failure is still nine to one, right? Nine, nine companies fail, one succeeds. Try your best to reduce the risk of headaches other than the fact that you're probably owing people money at the end of the business if it fails and there's always a chance it's going to with less problems. A few things we've covered so far. Um, when we specifically look at pitfalls, cold start issues, um, issues that come when you raise capital and the pressures to grow, uh, balancing between um, how you know the business and the pressure that can come from having investors and board of directors and their influence on the business because they've got their own uh, duties as well and how you can look at picking uh, investors and board members. Now, um, Adlan, is there anything else you'd like to highlight when we talk about the struggles of scaling a business? There was a conversation recently about how little time is spent on looking at our mental health when you're running a business, right? Or when you're scaling a business. I've heard all kinds of um, I guess anecdotes really you know all these kind of buzzwords or sayings like oh only the paranoid survive all these fun <laughs> stuff right and and I remember one of the biggest investors in Asia gave a, a, a funny comment in terms of you know it's worth than death really if you're being an entrepreneur because there's no guarantees you'll succeed right see the older you become the higher the risk of failure because you've got a higher you know set of commitments if you think about it right if you fail where are you going to start again which is why, I mean, if you look at Loy, who started at 43, FarmFresh was started at 43. Can you imagine the risk that went through his head? And it's just mind-boggling, really. At 43, you know, to, to build a business that then became a billion-dollar or billion-ringgit business today. But again, outlier, okay? But can there be another Loy? For sure. There will always be another Loy, another Eric being born, you know, every day, really. But how do you become these sort of billion-dollar companies? One, they're masterclass operators, as I said earlier at the beginning of the show, is they've probably got their numbers down to a pat. They know every single core metric. If you ask them, they'll be able to answer it like that. See, I'm snapping my fingers. I don't know whether you're hearing this, but you'll be able to know. That's that's the kind of, it's it's got to be a nadir, right? You've got to be able to live with this and die by this. So to scale a business, painful, but for you to even think of trying this as your calling, you need to live, breathe, eat your business, one. Second, you need to find co-founding team members that also think and breathe and live the same way. And that's also another challenge. I know you're going to ask me about co-founders. Yep, <laughs> I am going to. Well, well played because um, co-founders, it's like getting married, you know. Like, as you mentioned, you're in this together. And if your co-founders are maybe not the same wavelength, it could lead to some really big ramifications later. Even partnerships, right? Uh, friends and family, um, where they, even in an F&B business with one restaurant, different directions they want to take, and that can lead to the end of that business. What makes a good pairing or trio or quadruplet here? Everybody knows when you start a business, you usually do it with someone that you are comfortable with, or you spend some time working with. Usually, is someone you've worked with in the office you had or have before you started that business. It is not the ideal pairing. It is the most, I guess, serendipitous one because they're around you at the time. The problem is when your skill sets diverge throughout the years of building a business, then how do you manage co-founder fallouts, right? In essence, what begins as a natural requirement to start a business because, hey, what, you can't hire anybody at the beginning, so therefore two of these guys are putting sweat equity, we work through it. Then the business starts scaling, then you realise, hey, this business is scaling faster than the ability of my co-founder. 
that's fine because you then have to manage conflict resolution. What if it's growing faster than what you can manage? That's a big problem because the ego, as I said, check your ego at the door. If you're the CEO and founder of your company and you realize, hey, I'm not adding value here, have the temerity to say, look, I can step back and probably put someone else better at doing this. That's something that I guess is very difficult because as a founder, we always want to have our hands on the steering wheel. To oblivion, really, if it's not benefiting the business. So in, in all my business before, nothing is above the business. If the moment I realize that I'm not adding value to my business, I'll leave. I'm still a shareholder. There's no problem if you're not the guy calling the shots or girl calling the shots here because, look, if someone else is coming in and doing a better job than you, guess what? You're going home with a windfall. Your shares remain the same. Okay. And this is a conversation I think we'll have to get into another day, right? Where your skill set as an entrepreneur may not be the skill set you need to run a multi-billion dollar mm -hmm. business. For example, um, Dara came in after Travis. I mean, obviously yeah. there were other reasons there. An operator, essentially. Uh, that is a conversation we, we will have another day. I think that's going to be an interesting one. All right, Alan, we got to go into a few messages and then we'll be back to talk about more. I've been speaking with Adlin Yusman, Managing Director of Endeavor Malaysia. I'm Roshan Kanderson. This is Raise Your Game. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Brave Finance Managers, BFM 89.9. Good morning and welcome back to Raise Your Game. I'm Roshan Kanderson and this morning I've been speaking with Adlin Yusman, Managing Director of Endeavor Malaysia. Um, Adlin, uh, with everything we've discussed here so far, and we've talked a little bit about failure, um, do you think that failure is inevitable when building a business and that it's all about basically how you pivot and adapt from that failure? I'll use a parable here. It's not about how hard you can take your hit because as entrepreneurs, you'll take a hit. Whether it's the market, as what happened the past couple of years, whether it's your competitors who are slandering you, that happens all the time, right? It's about how many hits you can take and keep on going forward. That's important. So it's not how hard you can take a hit, because nah? a lot of guys can. But then after the largest hit they hit, they sit down and they give up. Their hands are up, right? So the problem with failure and why it's a stigma here, especially for Asian cultures, I'm not just saying Malaysia, in general Asian cultures, is because of the fact that the generation that we grew up with, our parents expect us to be professionals, engineers, doctors, lawyers, you name it. You know, all these sort of tried and tested, you know, careers. And here you are trying to say, I'm, I'm about to build a startup that's, you know, serving people, you know, delivering random food at night at 3am. That was be my last at the time, right? If you don't have an eye on failure in some way, even if it's a small portion of your mind, see, the fear of failure is a huge motivator. So in my first business I started when I was 21, it was a media house, right? I had four magazines, I had a television show, I had events uh, organization. It was huge. I was making before 5 million ringgit a year at 22, 23 years old. I thought I was the rock star of the country, really. And then when the 2008 crisis came, I fell hard on the floor. And that was a moment that I realized, oh, no, I'm not as good as I thought I was. I never for once thought it was luck. I thought it was just pure, purely skill that made me there, uh, that got me there. And that's the first realization of hubris. And every entrepreneur needs to grow through failure to understand that you are not invincible. Now, rounding up back to what I said, so mental health is important because if you've never failed, sometimes you defer failure for later. So I guess the best advice I had from me from one of the entrepreneurs is, it's better to fail early because if you fail earlier, your, your recovery is a lot quicker. Imagine if you fail when the business is so much larger and then everybody knows you for who you are, what you've done, and it's, it's such an amazing thing you've done. And then that fails, you'll be remembered as a gargantuan failure. Can you imagine that kind of, you know, effect in your psyche? And how do you recover from that? It's something that we need to really be cognizant that no matter what you do, if it fails, if the market turns, not your fault, 
right? If for whatever reason that, you know, act of God, not your fault. What is within your control is how you expand your business, how you burn the cash that you're given, whether you've done the right business. And in Endeavor, I've heard this comments from a few of our mentors. He says, just because your business is bad doesn't make you a bad entrepreneur. It's just that you're in the wrong business. That's something you need to realize as well. What if you're a really good entrepreneur, but the business is wrong? This leads me to a thought I had just a little early because I like how you've basically um, stretched the runway a little bit because failure is not about... It reminds me a lot of that saying, right? It's about winning the war, not the battle. Mm. You may lose battles, but you can still win the war. Yep. Now, how you, what is your war is defined by you. If you're an entrepreneur that wants to build a business for yourself, just because you failed your first one doesn't mean you stop and walk away and you don't do it again, right? Um, because earlier we were talking about, uh, I think it was a rocky quote, right? It's about how hard you get yes, hit. Yes, it is a rocky quote. Um, my man, you know it. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to have it on my room door, man. It's, <laughs> that's it's, that's amazing, kind of, rocky quote. Uh, so when you were saying it, I was like, oh, that's familiar. <laughs> so... How hard you get hit, um, sometimes the way you move forward from that is not necessarily to uh, do the same thing again and uh, essentially punish yourself, but to walk away and maybe relook at the business you're doing again with that mentality of this is a bad business, I'm not a bad entrepreneur. Mm. When do you think is the time to look at the business and say, okay, it's time to walk away from this and try something else as opposed to let me give this one more shot? I remember there was this one time I was raising money for Bimala's Series A and I met this prolific investor. It's, it's a global investor. They're huge. Everybody knows them. I won't say their name because, you know, but the advice was this. I was raising, I think at that time, $2 million and I said, look, I, I need this because I need this for scale. And he said, look, your business is really bad. Straight to my face, right? But if you want the money, I can write you the check. What you're going to be upset with me is not because I gave you the check because I'll give you what you want. What you'll be upset with me is for me not telling you what you need to hear that the business is bad, I think you're a good entrepreneur, and if I give you the money, you'll get it, but what you will never get back is the time you would have spent building a business that was wrong for you. Wow, okay, that, that's, that's something to hear for sure. Yeah. Um, so that comes again to this outside source, right? Having, having people around exactly. you who can tell you, um, give you, not having a cheerleading squad that will always, inc- I mean, it's good to have support, and of course, no one's saying that you shouldn't, but having real people talk to you about um, where you are in that business can sometimes be really important so that you can assess the situation as it is. Um, Adeline, I wish we could go on talking because I'm <laughs> sure we'll find another thing to talk about. Uh, but uh, we got to wrap up this conversation. As we come to a close, is there anything you'd like to highlight? Well, if you're an entrepreneur and it's a lonely road out there, obviously look out for Endeavor. We'll be there to help you. If, if you're looking for mentorship, you're looking for someone to help you multiply your business, that's on an Endeavor side. But from a personal side, in terms of all the entrepreneurs out there listening, there's always another day. If you wake up today breathing, you can still fight for the business. You can still fight for making something work. Yes, market has turned, but that doesn't mean that it's over yet. There's always going to be someone out there that's going to find your business interesting. 60 on investors for Eric until he got his two, right? Imagine this. I think even Patrick Grove mentioned he spoke to 150 investors for one of his companies before. All these are entrepreneurs you've heard of. They didn't just walk in and say, look, I closed $100 million because I'm someone. It's the struggle that never ends. And I guess what you need to know as entrepreneurs is you did this because you wanted to be a founder. You're bar- you, you, I think it's something that's within your blood, really. If you're an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur. So don't ever think that if you've fallen, that you cannot get back up. To wrap up, I guess, in a sense, the failure part, because you only fail, to quote you, man, you may have lost a battle, but you still have a war to win. 
Alin, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Roshan. I was speaking with Alin Yusman, Managing Director of Endeavour Malaysia, and you've been listening to Raise Your Game. I'm Roshan Kanesan. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You've been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app. 